And almost half of the U.S. teens say they are online almost constantly. Not shocking. That's nearly double the number since 2015 when the Pew Research Center conducted their last survey. YouTube is the most popular platform among American teens, with 95% saying they use the site or its mobile app. TikTok is now used in about 67% of teens between 13 and 17 years old. And not surprising, Facebook is plunging amongst teens. In 2015, 71% said they used the Facebook. Now only 32% said they are on the platform. Instagram, my favorite, came in third, and Snapchat rounded out the way, coming in fourth. Commenting on this Pew Research survey, CNN noted that in total, 97% of those surveyed said they used the internet daily, up from 92% of teens who said they used the internet daily in the last report in 2015. And in their analysis of this research, Pew says that the new survey finds that the vast majority of teens have access to digital devices, 95% with smartphones. So 95% of teens have a pocket computer that they are using to go online almost daily. 97% are going online daily on the internet, and 46% admit they're going online almost constantly, which is double the number from the last survey in 2014 to 2015. It says there has been a 22 percentage point rise in the share of teens who report having access to a smartphone. This is just incredible. And so think about the potential for impact here with this availability. That's really the question that we want to think about today. And considering this against what reach searchers are telling us about the impact of this technology and uh, use of social media and the internet on our brains, um, it's not only teen brains. So we turn to Nicholas Carr, the author of the book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And this is what he had to say back in 2015. If you look at studies of teenagers uh, in their phones, in texting, you find that the average teenager sends or receives about 3,300 texts a month these days. For teenage girls, it's actually over 4,000 texts a month. And that breaks down to one text about every six minutes throughout your entire waking life. And if you think adults are, behave more, show any more restraint around their gadgets, well, forget it, because the latest uh, studies of how often an adult will pull out his or her smartphone and look at it during the course of the day, it's about 160 times, uh, which works out to about once every six minutes during your waking life. And as we know from that email study, that's almost surely an understatement, because people consult their phones, consult the internet, uh, consult social media all the time without even consciously realizing they're doing it. So this is very good for internet companies, but what about for ourselves and the way we think and the way we use our minds? So we can see that such saturation of society by this technology has the potential to have a profound impact on human behavior on what we're exposed to, on what we think, how our brains develop um, in terms of our use of the internet, 
and of social media in particular. And this has really come under the microscope in recent years. You might remember last year, um, Facebook whistleblower Francis Hogan testified to governments on the mental health issues that Facebook was allegedly ignoring, putting their profits before dealing with teen suicide and other big issues, their own um, documents that um, the whistleblower um, released showed that to be the case. And we now know that these social media apps are designed to be addictive. This was exposed in the movie The Social Dilemma that came out last year. The trailer provides the key messages. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. If everyone's entitled to their own facts, there's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. So we can see that there is the potential for good in the technology that we're talking about, but the companies that provide it are not interested. And so it's been said that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And we can see that that's definitely the case here. So should we be concerned? Well, there's positive aspects to our modern digital world, there is also reason for concern. Nicholas Carr, that we already referred to, points out that the fire hose of information presented by the internet has resulted in difficulty concentrating, challenging deep learning and critical thinking. So it's the new thing that grabs our attention. For instance, if it's a nice little cat video, uh, you'll go to the cat video. Uh, you won't if you have something very important, very interesting in front of you. Um, and so that's what we've created for ourselves, is this world 
in which, thanks to our technology, uh, we're constantly subverting our ability to think our deepest, most profound thoughts. And there was another study uh, done a couple of years ago in which a woman named Patricia Greenfield at the University of California at Los Angeles went out and looked, examined uh, 50 different experiments that had been done over the years to see how different technologies, different media influence the way we think. What she concluded was that there is a benefit for all this time we spend online. We seem to have greater visual acuity. And by, what's meant by that is we can shift our focus more quickly among more images, more things on a screen than we were able to do before. But the trade-off here, what we lose in optimizing our brain for shifting our attention, is what she described as mindful knowledge acquisition, creative thinking, reflective thinking, critical thinking. Now, however much we might appreciate that we've optimized our brains to shift our focus very quickly, I think most of us would agree that those things, mindful knowledge acquisition, the ability to think critically uh, and to think uh, conceptually and deeply, those are really the fundamental aspects of the highest forms of human thinking. And essentially, by becoming slaves to our technology, we've cut ourselves off more and more from those highest forms of thinking. I'd even argue that as a society, we're starting to pretend that that doesn't matter. We place all our focus on the speed with which we can gather new information. Uh, and that's always been a very important part of being intelligent, to gather new information. But it's only the first stage of using your mind in the, in the fullest way possible. The second and more important stage is actually to cut yourself off, to screen yourself from all that incoming information and consider deeply, think deeply about what you've discovered. And it's that second process, more important process, that is fading more and more away from us. And as I argue, as a society, we're kind of saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is the speed of the consumption of information. So if there's the one overarching danger that I think we face as individuals and as a society, in our dependency on, these, uh, on our smartphones and our computers and the web, it's that we're sacrificing our ability to determine for ourselves what our minds focus on, what we pay attention to. We're ceding that incredibly important function to the technology itself. And we know that Facebook and all these other companies are happy to take over that function for you, happy to determine what you look at. But it seems to me, if we sacrifice that fundamental quality of our mind, the ability to determine for ourselves what we're going to think about and how much time we're going to spend thinking about it, then for all the gains the internet has given us, we'll be sacrificing perhaps the most important thing to, that governs the depth of our thought. So Nicholas Carr warns that we are becoming slaves to technology where it is determining what we are looking at and what we are thinking about. The social media platform TikTok, which is the fastest growing platform amongst teens, is a great example of this, where the social media app is using artificial intelligence to present the user with an endless stream of videos based on what it thinks the user will want to watch without the user doing anything, and they keep coming until the user is exhausted. For servants of Jesus Christ, it should be easy to discern that this is the opposite of what we want 
in developing a new way of thinking that will lead to eternal life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the problem, of course, is that we have a natural appetite for evil. Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so our heart is deceitful and wicked, and it has a natural appetite for information that is not good for us. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore let no one boast in men. And so the internet and social media and so on is diverting our attention away from God. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. And so we are in a generation of lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And Jesus tells us in Luke 16, verse 13, that no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so we need to rethink how we are managing technology, how we're using it in our lives, because it is diverting our attention away from God. And we're becoming shallow thinkers, as Nicholas Carr has pointed out to us. And so we need to take a step back and to take control of our lives. As it says in Mark 9 and verse 47, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And in 1 John 5 and verse 4, RSV, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And so it really is a, a battle of, of the mind, one where we want to overcome what is being pushed at us. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, through the pretensions of liars whose consciences are seared. And so that's what is, is happening to us with the messages that are being pushed at us through constant um, immersion in what's coming from the internet. It is changing the way, the way that we think, and it is changing um, what's important to us and our standards. And so we need to push back and to take control. We read in Romans chapter 6, 
And at verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And so we don't want to be the servants of technology. Um, If we're going to use it, we want to use it selectively and responsibly. We read in Ephesians chapter 4 that you put away as concerning your former manner of life, the old man, which waxes corrupt after the lusts of deceit, and that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. And so what can we do? That's, that's where we want to finish. We want to preserve our minds um, for God. We want to develop the mind of Christ. And so what do we do in this circumstance. Well, we're going to finish with uh, another piece from Nicholas Carr. He has some good advice for us. I I resisted uh, applying the word addiction to to technology for a long time, simply because I think it's a different form of addiction than say, you know, drug addiction or alcohol addiction or nicotine addiction. Um, But I do think, I do think at this point, it's fair to call it in addiction, I mean, certainly it's fair to call it a compulsion. And I think we've all of us who have phones or even internet access know what that feels like, that desire to constantly reach for our phone. Um, I think dealing with it means providing more space for our, our minds to think in different ways without being uh, intruded on by the distractions or simply the presence of our phones and other technology. And, and to make that more practical, I think we I think we have to resist what we've taught ourselves to do, which is to carry our phones with us all the time. I think if we're gonna if if we're gonna open up old uh, and calm ways of thinking, if we're gonna open those back up to us, then we have to spend time in our day every day without our phones nearby, without technology nearby. And so, and this is gonna be hard for lots of people. It's hard for me. Um, I, I think. The most, the single most important a pers- thing a person can do is to go out and do things without having their phone with them, whether it's taking a walk, having a conversation with somebody, having a meal, going to class, going to work. I mean, if we can start to say, do I really need my phone with me when I go out and do this? I think what we'll learn is that there's a whole lot of activities that are actually more enjoyable and more fulfilling if you do them with your full attention, with your full concentration, and without being constantly distracted by technology. Second, I, I think we need to recognize that the companies that uh, develop phones and develop apps and develop social media, they want us to be constantly distracted, particularly by their products and services. And they've designed these things, uh, particularly with social media platforms, to be something that it has an addic- addiction-like hold on us. So I think you know, tempering your use of social media, uh, taking some of your social media apps off your phone um, so you can't check them all the time, turning off notifications because this is another way that uh, the companies who want to grab our attention grab our attention by constantly notifying us of new information or whatever. Um, so there, I think there are some, you know, practical, simple things, even though they're difficult because we've so trained ourselves to, to want to gather information all the time. The other thing that we're seeing in parallel with um, the effect of technology is a change in the 
information that is being taught to our children and what is being um, taught at the university level by professors in the books that are available to um, students. And so that is also something that we've mentioned before that's been in the news and it continues to be in the news, how that the, the gender issue and the interpretation or reinterpretation of history is also being pushed at the same time. And so there really is a battle for our thinking and for ideas. So we've considered the widespread availability of technology, in particular with smartphones, not only with teens, but also with adults. We've seen how that this technology is designed to be addictive, how it's um, interrupting our flow of thought so that we're not thinking deeply and critically. And we've considered how we want to take back control of this and to be the masters of the technology and not it of us, that we develop a godly mind, a Christ-like mind. And we pray that when he returns, we might find grace in his sight. This has been Daniel Billington with you this week for another edition of the Bible in the News. And we invite you to come back again next week as we continue to watch the Bible unfolding in the news. Mm-hmm.